What's up, motherfuckers? This is Eric Dow from Hellsot, and you are listening to KFMP Misery Point Radio! Outlaws to another gunslinging edition of the Misery Point Radio Show. I appreciate you dueling your way through the desolation to join me here in the wasteland. I, of course, am Mike, your humble guide through this barren death trap we call internet radio. Glad to have you with me on this perpetual quest to purge the airwaves of all that doth suck. And today, my friends, I've got just the snake oil you need to cure you of your many ailments, no doubt brought on by the lack of awesome music in your life. So you can consider me your Nigel West Dickens of musical therapy, if you get that reference anyway. Today's guest is Eric Dow, vocalist and songwriter for California pagan metal band Hellsot. Eric braved the elements and fought his way through hordes of evil minions to join me here and give us the lowdown on Hellsot's new album, Will and the Witch, an absolutely epic Western concept masterpiece that tells an alternate story of how Billy the Kid became the fastest gun in the West with help from some supernatural forces. Now, for those of you that know me, it's no secret that I'm a huge fan of concept albums, so I was more than excited to explore this unique Western concept and dive deep into the details. Eric and I also chatted about the evolution of the band and their sound, his expanded role as video director, their post-COVID touring schedule, the absolutely insane roster of guest musicians, their recent massive lineup change, and how the band is dealing with the phenomenal success of this latest endeavor. Needless to say, Hellsot is continuing to push the envelope and is not afraid to try new things. So I'm excited to share this conversation with you today. Special shout out to my good buddy John Asher from Asher Media Relations for kicking me in the ass and setting this one up. So, dust off those shit kickers, polish up those six shooters, and prepare to reap the whirlwind. Check it out. Hey, Eric, welcome to the Misery Point Radio Show. Thank you so much for hanging out today. I'm very excited to talk to you about all this badass stuff you got going on. Misery Point! What's up, motherfuckers? See, now, if all you motherfuckers would say hi to me like that, then uh, then the world would be a better place, right? Uh, oh, man, the world should be a fucking party, man. Definitely. You know, uh, so my, my good buddy, uh, Mr. John Asher, when he first told me about your album uh, a few months back, I, I was pretty stoked about it because, number one, I'm a huge fan of concept albums. Number nice. two, I'm a huge fan of metal. Number three, I'm a huge fan of Westerns and all Western shit, so... You guys figured you out a like way. Me and you would get along. Dude. <laughs> you guys figured out a way to cram it all together into uh, you know kind of one epic masterpiece. So when I first heard about this, I was like, "Fuck yes!" And I had actually planned on seeing you guys in Seattle uh, back in June, but sadly, uh, the cosmos had other plans for me on that uh, given day, so I couldn't make it happen. But uh, you guys played where? Was it El Corazon or the Fun House? Yeah, the side room, the fun house. <laughs> the side room. Yeah. That's <laughs> uh it's it's uh it's it's close quarters in there. I hope you guys all liked each other that day. Oh, we didn't. 
<laughs> nice. Well, so there's there's quite a bit of cool shit to uh, to chat about with you, but, but let's just start with this album, uh, Will and the Witch. Now, from obviously you yourself, you're a, you're a fan of westerns, and uh, from what I understand. You were driving through, I don't know, like Vegas or Arizona or New Mexico, and you just kind of were inspired by the landscape, and you guys were just like, fuck, man, we should just do a Western, and you're a fan of Young Guns, so this concept popped into your head, let's make kind of a fan fiction tie-in to Young Guns. Am I on the right track? Yeah, you're on the right track. Um, You know, we wanted to do a Western concept album, and we did get the inspiration driving to Vegas through the beautiful desert and all that. And, you know, it's like, wasn't the first time we made that drive or anything, you know, and there's much more beautiful desert drives like through, you know, Arizona or New Mexico, Utah, shit like that. But, you know, when you're delirious, like we were on that drive, you know, it just, you know, it popped into our heads and uh, we always think uh, years in advance. So, you know, we hadn't even finished recording Slaves and Gods yet we were already thinking the next album so um just the lyrical concept the willow the billy the kid stuff that wasn't there yet it's just like let's fucking do a western album man like you know we've done uh egyptian we've done greek stuff we do norse mythology stuff you know we've done celtic stuff and like it's fucking i think we've only done like one song like tavern's tale that is like a north american type song so we are like, let's just do a whole fucking album that's American, man. And, uh, you know, the, the Western concept was su- super easy and stupid for me because, you know, I love it so much. So um, it took a couple of years for me to decide what to actually write lyrically because I was working on the Egyptian album right. still. <laughs> but when it all came together, it was like super easy, man. It was awesome. When you uh, when you were developing that concept, was it did you know you were gonna go like Billy the Kid as as the core, or were you thinking more general, broader Western sense and incorporating lots of different elements? Yeah, I guess when we were first thinking about it, it wasn't gonna be like a concept story or anything like that. It was gonna just be, you know, maybe like a song about Deadwood and a song about Billy the Kid and a song about uh, Tombstone and. A, you know, a song about the Pale Riders, you know, uh, throw in some spaghetti westerns and, you know, like maybe even just do some instrumentals, you know. And, um, you know, uh, that's all cool and all, but, you know, uh, when, you know, that bug hits or you get that, you know, that creative thing hits you like, a, you know, like a spark of lightning, then that then that's what you go with. And, you know, just one day... Uh, I was like, you know, Billy the Kid, man, that's, you know, that's where it's at. And I was, it just hit me. I'm like, what made him so cocky and arrogant? What made him so fast? And it's like, you know, uh, it's your hypothesis. You think about, you know, the question first, then you answer it. And I just went to town writing, man, and it just came out so easily. So it wasn't one of those things where, like, I thought super hard about it. You know, I was just like, I have all this Western shit in my head that I could do a whole album with. And then out of nowhere, it just hit me to do a, an actual story, you know, like a prequel to Young Guns. And I thought immediately, I'm like, ah, oh, that'd be so fun to write. Like, lyrically, that's just fun, you know, yeah. fan fiction bullshit, you know. And it's <laughs> like, let, 
let's tie uh, paganism into it and voodoo and the it, the shamans and I mean like just go for it, you know. And uh, I got super excited and that was it. There was no other debates or oh maybe this idea is better or that. It was just I got the you know the first concept idea that came to my mind and I rolled with it. And what was that? What was that first concept? Well, like I said, just Billy the Kid and yeah. what made him the fastest gunslinger, you know, just yeah. answering that question. And I was like, well, you know, we got to tie in some love and it's like put in a voodoo witch chick. And, you know, they were running away from the Pinkertons and they get out west where Billy the Kid starts making his first kills in Arizona territory. And then, then they got to escape the Pinkerton when he catches them there. And so I guess where do they go next? So they got to go to New Mexico where that's popular, where, you know. Uh, Lincoln Town is and all that shit, and so uh, obviously I have to dump the witch at some point. But what do you what do you do to dump the witch or whatever? Well, you you know you make a shaman ritual where her body dies, but her soul goes into Billy the Kid. So that's what makes him the fastest gunslinger. You know, he's living with an actual witch inside of him, so he's got the power and speed of two people with some magic involved, and. Then, you know, he kills the Pinkerton like it's fucking nothing. And then uh, he he runs south into the fucking sunset. And, you know, and then the last song on the album, I knew I wanted to, like, tie it into the movie Young Guns. So I just made, uh, you know, lyrically, it's just like a quick uh, summary of the movie Young Guns. Call it Regulators. Album yeah. done. That's <laughs> awesome. When you were writing, so it sounds like you, once it started kind of coming out, then it became like a fucking fountain, right? It just kind of started pouring yep. out. Yep. Did it, did it develop in a linear fashion? Like you, you had an idea outline wise, like where you wanted to take it in parts or did you just write individual songs and kind of try to tie them all together at the end? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say, um, I wrote linear ideas. First thing I did was, uh, you know, like do a prelude song and a prologue song. And it's like, first one's I'll Make You Famous, which doesn't really have that much to do with the story. It's more of a just a summary of Billy the Kid. And we had some music in mind and I knew that, you know, whatever I had in mind would be solid for a single. So I'm like, well, let's use that guitar part and this part as a single and i'll write the lyrics to it for the prologue and then i knew i needed to get to young guns so then i just started writing like two or three sentences per song all the way down i'm like okay i could write a song about this the next song he has to do this next song he has to do that so then i had a list of all the songs we needed it ended up being like 12 songs and then we got to work on the music and the feel because we had the idea of what the song needed to convey and then of course we didn't want to put any time limits on anything so like you know like say the song skin out i it was you know it was two sentences long on my first paper and ended up being what a 10 minute ten long minute song. song yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh same with welded is one two sentences to, to begin with you know and it turns out to be like a seven minute long song about a shaman ritual and shit you know yeah uh and then when when the music was there and it started coming along as a band then i started writing in detail you know because you know well, i wasn't just sitting in in the room listening to riffs and stuff like that i was like screaming over them or had them in my head while the band was playing and 
we're all coming up with ideas and in the back of my head i'm you know i'm getting like vocal patterns and shit like that so you know it just came super easy man the whole album you know was doing when covid just started so there was nothing else for us to do there was fucking nothing going on so we were all just going over to the band room all the time and uh yeah that album came together stupid simple (laughs) that's awesome yeah i mean the the great fucker that was covid but it did um you know as a as an alternative it did provide people some some time to flesh out concepts and stuff like that so uh that's that's pretty epic and and the music then that ended up becoming kind of the backbone for the lyrics was this did you create new music to fit into your lyrical concepts or were you pulling like old shit from the vault? Cause you did mention that you're always thinking ahead. I assume there was some stuff that ended up on the cutting room floor that, you know, maybe got some new life breathed into it. Absolutely. Yeah. You nailed it. <laughs> <coughs> we're always pulling from that bag, man. Anytime we can. Um, this album, we wanted to uh, like get back in touch with our roots musically. And, um, when I started music, I was a drummer and the guitar player, Mark, uh, my brother was the singer guitar player. And our older brother, Richard was the bass player. And no, we didn't call the band Dow. Like <laughs> uh, you could have called it band of brothers and had another Western reference, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. But it was just like a cool, like thrashy, uh, traditional metal type band. Sure. We actually pulled, uh, reap the whirlwind. And um, the main guitar part for uh, Will and the Witch, the song, from that old band. So we're talking riffs that we wrote when we were teenagers. Oh, e- even pre-this pre, pre this band, uh, yeah, you guys like went way, back to that vault. Way long ago vault. Man. And, you know, we, we got to thinking about it. I'm like, that stuff still sounds cool. Like, even though we were kids writing it, it still got some cool shit to it. So um you know will and the witch we added new things to it and my whole idea to it and uh reap the whirlwind is almost identical to the way we wrote it 20 some odd years ago so to answer your question we did write new music we did write super fresh music we wrote music you know, or just kind of ripped off our favorite bands. Like we we, we, we straight up ripped <laughs> off like Hammerfall and Dream Theater and Iron Maiden. I mean, the fucking part of the chorus for uh, Drink Motherfucker Drink is Moonchild from Iron Maiden. Oh, man. It's, it's almost played exactly the same. We just fucking did it Hellsot style and hope we could get away with it. And then here I am blabbing about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, uh, you know, you, you got to pay homage to, to those greats. And it's funny, I was going to ask you this, uh, you know, a little bit later on, but you mentioned Maiden, and that's not necessarily a band that you guys get compared to a lot. But, you know, when I'm looking at kind of the way that your approach to lyrical content and storytelling, it, it reminds me a lot of Maiden, because Maiden, especially kind of back in the earlier days, they really took on a lot of you know, folklore, mythology, kind of a historical element. These were ballads. These were epic narratives um, that told very long, detailed stories. And, and I learned a lot from them. 
Yeah. And, you know, not just like my history teacher. Yeah. And not just this album, but, you know, going back to to the first couple outings that you guys did, there was still those those very storytelling elements, which uh, which I think is awesome. And so that that's kind of what I really one of the things I enjoyed about uh, Will and the Witch is that it's I mean, it's a storytelling album. It happens to be a concept album. But it is very epic in its narrative style, and and it and it definitely paints an audio picture. And and I mean, I'm an audio person, so when I hear stuff, I get images in my head. And Will and the Witch is a very visual uh, uh, style of album that that gives me those cues, and I just think that's fucking badass. I, I man, that's uh, that's one of the greatest compliments because that's exactly what I was going for, and that's you know that's how I listen to music too i i you know i read the lyrics and i visualize what's going on and you know there's some bands that can take you there man yeah like blind guardians one for me you know um iron maiden especially amon amarth and uh a true inspiration for me when writing stories like this and the narratives and all that is king diamond yeah so you know i've been listening to all those guys my whole life so you know it's gonna gonna bleed into what i end up doing you know but uh the iron maiden one you know like uh rhyme the ancient mariner uh uh out of the silent planet uh alexander alexander the great, the great was exactly mother, what was popping yeah, into my head that's exactly that's a good one uh seven mother son of mother seven russia son. seventh son the whole album yeah you know? right like i said we even ripped off Moonchild. you know seventh <laughs> son is just one of the most brilliant fucking things but yeah maiden's my favorite band Oh, so that's anybody cool. out there, you know, they're my all time favorite band, seen them a million times and, you know, really bums me out that they're all old now because, you know, every time I see them, I'm like, oh, my God, is this going to be the last time? <laughs> you know, Bruce Dickinson's out doing like a like a solo, like a one man show. Oh, like, I saw it. I've did, seen it twice. <laughs> okay, so you saw it twice. So clearly it wasn't a disaster then. I was like, oh, what do I think about this? I don't understand where he goes dude, with this. It's fucking amazing for me. You know, it's okay. like, uh, it's part comedy. It's part history lesson. He's very animated. Like, yeah, you know, he's always in these bands too. And he talks about his solo shit and, you know, his trips to Sarajevo. And, you know, the first time he flew... You know, and he's in the like a little tiny airplane with Nico McBrain. Nico was actually the pilot of the band first. And, you know, they go through this scary fucking adventure where they're stuffing him, you know, in this tiny little, uh, I think, what they called them, Cessnas or whatever, two-seater Cessnas with Bruce Bruce Dickinson stuck in the back and they can barely take off because it's so heavy. (laughs) And then they hit, you know, like the storm or whatever and they, they almost fucking die. And, uh, you know, Bruce is telling the story, and as he's telling the story, when he's, you know, talking about Nico's parts, he starts mimicking Nico. Oh, we're well, I'm going to make it. No, I'm never going to do that again. Uh. <laughs> it's fucking hilarious, dude. I mean, Bruce's one-man show is, like, fucking amazing, and I recommend it for anybody that just wants to laugh a good time. Dude's like a stand-up comedian for three hours. Yeah, man. you know, I, I had the opportunity to go, and I was like, I don't know, man. I was I couldn't wrap my head around what you it might be up, like. You fucked up, brother. I fucked, okay. Fucked I acknowledged it uh, on the air today that I did, in fact, fuck up, as confirmed by Mr. Dow here, so. <laughs> well, you saw it twice, so you I get to live vicariously through you. That's, uh, that's fucking cool. I mean, I think Bruce and, and 
as a lyricist and as a storyteller is definitely one one of the best out there and uh you know musically of course the band has gone through some some evolution over the years but as all bands yeah but i think everybody's got to do that you have to you have to and I, I think even even you guys, uh, for as young of a band as you are, I mean, you've been around a while, you know, I what this uh, Hellsot 2010, something like yeah. that. So 12 years, 12 years. But, you know, bands now, they're still around 30, 40 years. So, I mean, you're still pretty young in that timeline, I think. Uh, and I think of a band like yours, which is you have all these elements and, and your sound is you have a you have a specific sound that's hard to define which i like because there's a lot of elements to it it's got the folky metal it's got the death metal it's got the thrash it's got the got the iron maiden got the maiden yeah got the got the maiden got the at the gates got the you know got the moon spell got the amount of marth uh, i think there's somewhat of an amorphous sound um in some of your stuff too which i am a huge fan of like Tales from the Thousand Lakes is one of my favorite I was about albums. To say Tales, man, that's my favorite. Yeah, yeah. So, so I pick up. So you guys have this this almost Scandinavian sound, but not quite, right? There's enough of it no. that doesn't identify it as that. No, we're you know we're bastards enough to make it sound American in our <laughs> little way. Uh, you know, especially with like the picking style or like uh, you know the extra squeals on the guitar, you know, sure. all the Pantera or Slayer. <clears throat> exodus you know we we keep it american in our way um but yeah man we're always compared to like the scandinavian bands and it's you know almost all of our reviews are like a viking metal band from california how can this be <laughs> and then i'm like man am i gonna read the, another one of these yeah it's like dude we have like 40 some odd fucking songs in our catalog that's been released not you know we have so many that we've written that we've never recorded nine of them are Norse mythology, you know, not even a full quarter of our shit is Norse mythology songs. And we just get pegged as this Viking metal wannabe band from California. Yeah. The, the pagan surf rockers. Yeah. I, I mean, I, there's those taglines that get thrown out and obviously there's, there's bands that you guys get compared to, but you know, when I first heard you, I was like, okay, well, I don't really get the Viking thing. That wasn't anything that jumped out at me. And the pagan thing, I think, is probably something that people just started tagging you as because you're all over the place. I just look at you like you're just a fucking melodic metal band that just does different concepts. And yeah, man, um, I, I think that's that's fucking awesome. So, uh, getting back to uh, to Will and the Witch. Now you had some epic guests, obviously, and you've played with a lot of killer bands and met a lot of, of really cool people over the years. And I'm assuming that some of that, uh, just being out and about, you encountered people and said, "Hey, you know, let's let's fucking do something together." Of course, you guys are getting a lot of uh, press for having Ripper Owens uh, take part, uh, which was super cool. I love that right very beginning intro to independence night just fucking grabs your nuts and fucking squeezes them and just says listen to this motherfucker what a great intro to a song yeah and that i don't think that song turned out european sounding at all not at all (laughs) yeah you couldn't with that one uh and then you yourself uh, if i understand correctly you ended up directing one of the videos uh both of them oh, oh you did both of them we did them both in one day man 
Tell me about that then. How Let's do you talk go f- about that. I fucking love this story. Let's talk about that because I, I love the idea of somebody conceptualizing something and then saying, you know, what what the fuck? I just want to helm this motherfucker. Like most things, that all just had to do with money, man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, uh, most of our shit, like, you know, Hellsot's a broke-ass little fucking hick band, you know what I mean? Like... <laughs> We, you know, we have label support, but that's usually, you know, that's just like distribution and, and, uh, manufacturing and stuff and some marketing. It's, you know, we love M theory and, you know, uh, but like, you know, they're not a big label. They're not a label that throws money around and, you know, uh, so we've never had money or any sort of budget for a real music video before all of our shit's DIY. (laughs) Some of it's even silly, (laughs) like played like fucking silly. Uh, like our Tom Petty video that oh. I did. And um, when I was doing this album, it's like, you know, we can't like do fucking videos for a lot of our songs and do them justice visually because we don't have the money. And our songs are epic, you know, talking about medieval shit and, yeah. you know, old school stuff. And we need five rowboats and fucking, yeah, I mean, it's like. And costumes and props yeah, exactly. and all like, that how shit. How the fuck are we going to pull any of this stuff off? So we ended up just, you know, we end up in front of some trees out in the mountains like every fucking buddy else, you know. Very black metal of you. And then this fucking album, I'm like, we could do this one. This is doable. This is so doable, you know, and so we just, you know, got together and, uh, you know, decided that we were actually going to do some real fucking videos for this album. And uh, we found a place called White Horse Ranch out in Landers, California, which is in Yucca Valley. For those who, you know, it's like the beginning of the of the upper desert, but on, you know, right on the border, you can call it lower or upper desert all you want. I call it but fucking nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah this uh this couple just has like two main streets built to look just like uh you know um 1800s uh wild west and they have all the props they've got horses they've got blood palettes they've got explosions they've got guns they've got you know every building you walk into there's like elixir bottles or like period you know just anything anything you can think of and it was all you know you rent the place and they're like yeah man you can grab anything you want just make sure you put it back when you're done so we rented this place out super expensive uh they let us camp there because you know like i said it's butt fucking nowhere right so we showed up at you know like eight o'clock at night the night before shoot and just set up tents and got our drink on and uh there was actually a pizza place that delivered there because they're used to delivering because the place is made for filming you know like um i don't know if you guys saw it uh there's a doritos commercial in like 2019 for the super bowl where they had sam elliott's mustache dancing yeah and then there was like a rapper dude that was fucking (laughs) dancing and the horse was dancing that was shot at the same place oh crazy you know they they got like uh, wild turkey uh, commercials that were shot there, and um, Lindsey Sterling video was shot there. I mean, it's like a, it's a well-known place amongst the the video makers. I'd never fucking heard of it, but um, so it's like a one-stop shop, you know. You, uh, so we show up the night before, pitch our tents, get our drinks on. Uh, as soon as the sun comes up, you know, we you know we start filming, 
and uh, some of the people are doing wardrobe still. I was already in my wardrobe ready to go, and um, we had 12 hours booked, and we knew we wanted to get the one video done, uh, I'll Make You Famous, and then we were prepared to do uh, Babylon in the saloon, just kind of like a quick, not very scripted, just have like a beginning script and then just fucking party, you know? Just wing it. I fuck man, I'd lost so much sleep up to this. I was so stressed. We'd spent so much money and nobody knew what the fuck we were doing. All we had the only people that knew what the fuck we were doing was the guy I hired for the camera guy. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I'd talked to a lot of my friends over the years who like leveled up in the industry, you know, like I knew them, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, they probably would have done it for free, you know, but I was calling them up and they're like, oh man, I, you know. I need $9,000. I was like, fuck dude. And what does that pay for? He's like me. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> you want $9,000 just to stand there and tell people what to do. And he's like, yeah, and no, I need a professional camera crew. And he's like, here's a number for him. It's like $4,000 for like five cameras and a bunch of different lights and angles and people, their assistants and all this shit. And I'm like, what the fuck dude? Uh, yeah, so I called a couple other people, and the the cheapest I got was one guy said he'd do it for seven thousand dollars, and uh, I was like, dude, we, we don't have it for one, and I'm like, fuck you for two, and fucking <laughs> fuck y'all, I'll do it myself. Was three, so I put the burden on myself, and uh, I hired a camera guy who's in a, a band out here called Fractures, um, Vinny Marvasso. Anybody out here needs a video, check him out. Uh, $1,500 all in for one day to shoot and edit two videos. Damn. Can't fucking beat that, people. No. So, you know, that's another thing I'm really good at is finding, you know, the super talented guys at budget, you know. And he was down, man. You know, he, he didn't fucking fuck off at all, man. He showed up ready to work. It was cool. Um, so, yeah, I just said I'll do it myself. And stressed out, losing sleep. Man, what have I got myself into? Um, all of a sudden, you know, there's this full set. We, I've signed all the waivers. I've got a million dollars in insurance. Everybody's there in costume and everyone's just staring at me. Okay. What do we do? I'm like, Oh, fucking go. <laughs> and the first shot we, we filmed was the tumbleweed. That's at the very beginning. Right. Of I'll make you famous. Cause you can't fucking start a Western without the fucking got tumbleweed. Have a tumbleweed. Right. Yeah. I don't give a fuck how cliche it is. Or more like, I do give a fuck how cliche it is. <laughs> Man, we weren't prepared, you know, for such a dead... It was November. It was, you know, a, a year ago now. It was like, um, it was just dead. There's there no wind. There was no sound. It was like a beautiful day. There's not a cloud in the sky, you know. And uh, a fucking tumbleweed wouldn't roll. So... <laughs> So we get like um, a fishing pole that we had tied the fishing rod to it. And I'm like cranking, you know, behind camera trying to get the thing to roll. Cause we've rolled the wire around it this way. So like you're rolling the tumbleweed at you and the wires unrolling. And it was, it was like, <laughs> and then it would drag. Right. And then roll one more time. I'm like, fuck dude, I'm looking over and everybody's staring at us. And I'm like, fuck man. You know, my smart ass friend comes up. He's like, I could have brought my leaf blower. I'm yeah. like, 
Why the fuck didn't you? Oh, crazy. So we took about 40 minutes to get that one shot. And, you know, that it worked at all, you know, but I'm sitting there going, oh, fuck, dude. What did I get myself into? <laughs> Next thing I know, we just start rolling. You know, we had a, a, a shoot list. We had everything we wanted to do on there. And we just started rolling, man. Next thing I know, it's lunchtime and we're done with the first video. Wow. All we had to do was shoot like a couple of uh, close-up guitar solo stuff. And I'm like, how the fuck did that happen? I'm like, we're like so ahead of schedule. It wasn't even funny. And everything went so smoothly and so perfectly. And I was just like, wow. I mean, to the point where like when I had, um, you know, the the guy die uh our buddy scott you know when he gets shot in the head by billy he's laying on the ground and we go for a close-up shot and a fucking fly lands on his head i don't know if you caught that in the video i didn't catch a that fucking fly lands on his head and rolls around on his head while he's laying there dead that happened i was like dude stay still stay still there's a fly on your head this is perfect <laughs> keep playing dead <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> We even tr- we were, I, I forgot to, but we were even going to put the fly in the credits, you know, and special thanks to fly. <laughs> I forgot to do that. Oh, but he'll yeah, probably just, contact your agent later and, and ask yeah, for his money. Exactly. But dude, you know, it went so perfect. And then we did lunch and, uh, you know, the, it went from everyone like looking at me, what the fuck is this guy doing with fishing wire for 45 minutes to, right. Everyone's going like, this is awesome, dude. I'm having so much fun. Thank you. And like, you're a great director. And even the woman that owned the place, she came up and she's like, man, you guys, she's like, you guys are doing great. They're like, it's so fresh to have like a guy in here that knows what the fuck he's doing. And she walks away and I'm like, and you're like, that's, is that me? (laughs) Are you talking about me? (laughs) And uh, yeah, so uh, we ate lunch and you know all the costume and like i said there wasn't a cloud in the sky so out in the desert man the sun was beating on us so we start around like you know one o'clock two o'clock i could start seeing the fatigue in everybody so i was like all right let's get this rolling we could do another video and so we did man uh we did the beginning uh shot where we're walking down the street before we go in the saloon and then we did all the shots where people were firing guns in the saloon first because while uh, while the guns were out, uh, you couldn't drink. No alcohol on premises. Sure. So we're like, all right, let's get the fucking guns out of the way, you know. And anything you saw, if there's a gun in the scene and someone's holding a bottle of something, it was like apple juice. Yeah. You know. And you didn't let couldn't... Alec Baldwin on set, so you guys were all fine, right? No, we actually. <laughs> this was right after that happened too, and oh wow, you know, we had a we had a safety meeting with the um the gun guys, um, uh, it was probably masters. about thir- Yeah, it was probably about thirty minutes of talking about Alec Baldwin's fuck up, <laughs> oh, and pretty much telling everybody that it's not going to happen here. We know what we're doing. Don't worry about it. You know, but we all had to sign waivers and get through that production meeting and safety meeting. And uh, we were all pretty confident, man. But, you know, I was super, you know, respectful of the rules. You know, it's like I told everybody, you know, I'm the I'm the one of the biggest rule breakers you guys know, you know. And I told everybody, I said, we've got so much money invested in this. I'm like, I won't be drinking while the guns are out. And I expect you guys to 
fucking adhere to those rules too. If I can do it, you can do it. Yeah, that's crazy. So, that's awesome. So yeah, everyone you know complied, and then we were done doing the the gunshots for uh, Babylon, and everyone's like, "Are we done? We done?" And we're like, "Yeah." We just backed the truck up and just fucking filled the saloon with booze. <laughs> all the booze we bought, beer, fucking whiskey, all this stuff, dude. And we just started rolling the camera. We just played the song over a PA real loud and just rolled the camera uh, several times while we were just in there partying. And that's how we got the video. Did you ever in a million years think that uh, drink, motherfucker, drink would become such a uh like a repeatable phrase that people latch on to did you realize how catchy that was going to be when you were writing it well i don't know because i've been saying it for 20 years drink motherfucker drink yeah i don't know like you feel like the 90s new metal shit probably do you know like I don't listen to that shit, but I, I got to feel like Static X or Machine Head has done that before. I, I don't know. I just I didn't I didn't think of it as like something I wrote. But um, we were on tour in Europe with our with Skyforger and Finster Force. And uh, this is a really fucking cool lineup because you got the German guys that are like us, but they're older than us. And uh, been around a little bit longer. And, you know, it's a band that we kind of looked up to. And then the Skyforger guys, um, the Latvian band, who's been around since the 90s. And these motherfuckers, you want to talk about, like, learning, you know, your history. Every one of their songs is a fucking history lesson. But a lot of them are in Latvian or, you know, even ancient texts over there, the Slavs. And... um, uh, you know, you can't understand a lot of them, but Peters will get on the microphone and give you like a 30 second rundown of what the song's about to be. And he's like super like into it. Like, you know, it's usually like uh, his history or his heritage from Latvia or something like that, you know, and they're a small little country who, you know, like the Ukrainians right now, you know, they got their ass kicked all the time, but they always fought back. Right. And he was super proud of his heritage and stuff like that. So he's got a lot of these fucking scrappy songs that I just fucking love. And so the tour bus was no different, man. You had the Germans singing their songs and you had the Latvians singing their songs. And then you had the Americans over here just go, drink, motherfucker, drink, drink, motherfucker, drink. Uh, it's, it's funny when you hear it in song format, because yeah, we've all said some version of that or, you know, encountered some of that out there in the real world. And then when you hear it in a song, it's just, uh, it's like a rally cry. It's like, it's just, it's fucking like a pirate, like a shanty almost. Right. You're yeah, just like, right? yarg, drink motherfucker, you know? Exactly. Man. <laughs> you know, it just works. Yeah. I, I, well, you know, we had that whole tour bus. You know, going from singing ancient songs to just everybody sloshing their beer around going, drink, motherfucker, drink, drink, motherfucker, drink, you know, and like me and my brother just looked at each other and we're like, yeah, we just wrote a song. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And then uh... so that was, you know, that was probably six months before we actually wrote the song. So that will answer another one of your questions earlier. You know, like we did have some ideas for will and the witch before we started on it. Sure. That was one of them. Yeah. And that was easy enough. I'm like, 
you know, when you're writing a concept like that, that's all doom and gloom and, you know, has a lot of death and sad shit in it. It's like, you got to have your party song in there somewhere. You got to have that moment of fun, no matter what, you know, I think, you know, uh, even King Diamond will sing about fucking how cool his cat is in one song. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. Uh, you got to have that one song where it's just, you know, it gets away from the story a little bit. And I was like, drink, motherfucker, drink, man. We'll put him in a saloon. Yeah. And yeah, so in, I mean, the middle, in the middle of the album, I'm like, they get to a saloon. <laughs> right there in the middle. So it's a perfect break, actually. And speaking of perfect break, now is, in fact, the perfect time for us to take a quick break. So I'm going to go get myself a motherfucking drink, and I suggest you do the same so we can raise our glasses and check out this tune from Hellsot off Will and the Witch. Here's the song we've been blabbing about. This one's called Babylon Scarlet's Saloon.
musical progression on this uh is pretty awesome like it starts out really fucking intense and then it just kind of keeps going then it pulls back a little bit for you know some kind of fun shenanigans and then you get into some you know fucking I don't know what else you call it, but it's got that, you know, kind of Native American vibe with the flutes and some acoustic guitars and, and some very kind of chanty style vocals, you know. So you guys explore just a lot of stuff. And and this album takes you through those elements in a very progressive fashion. And it's not jarring. And like none of it seems out of place. None of it is like, oh, where the fuck did that come from with this album? Everything just fits so well together. It's just uh, the, the, the concept of putting all those elements with the the fiddles and the flutes and fucking all the, the pianos and just everything. It's just like, how do you fucking make that work? And you guys did it. <laughs> I, I appreciate that, man. I mean, you know, for us, it wasn't like a matter of how it was just, let's do it. Yeah. You know, uh, let's, you know, let's take you on this musical journey, you know, and like with the album cover, uh, I wanted the album cover to feel the same way. Like, you know, like it to give you this idea that you're about to listen to like musical theater rather than you're about to just listen to a regular metal album. It's got theater. a very like old school movie poster vibe to it, right? Yep. Or like maybe, uh, maybe like an well, old. Well, I was thinking like an old theater from the 1800s, yeah. you know, like when the silent film started or like um, just a dancing or a, a, like, you know, a multi talent show that they used to put on at yeah. the, the local theater. They slap a poster up, even like the the you know the Buffalo Bill Cody you know the Wild West shows you know they stick a poster up you know he's gonna be over out in the range under a tent you know for four days in a row you know so yeah. <clears throat> I wanted it to feel like that but you know we've got our concept artist Felipe that we always work with and he's very uh, new age very you know computer or graphic guy. Sure. You know what I mean? So, you know, I challenged him to keep his style ish, <laughs> but to give me what I want, you know, and, you know, it was the first album where he gave me stuff and I was like, nope, you're not there yet, man. You know, usually like he'll give me something. And I'm like, fuck yeah, dude, maybe can you just add this and this and then we're done? You know, it's never like, you know, a rare, I never had told him, nope, dude, you got to start over. <laughs> and I had to, I had to on this one because I knew what I wanted. And it wasn't his style at all. He had to go way out of his comfort zone to do this piece. And then he got COVID and it ended up taking fucking forever to get the art from him. And then by the time he was done with it and delivered it, he hated it. You know, he was like, just get this the fuck away from me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then I, you know, I, I saw him like a few months later, he came out to California and stayed with me for a, a few weeks or like a week or whatever. He uh he lives in Colombia, so um he likes to come out, go to Disneyland, stuff like that. We did the San Diego Metal Swap meet together, and um I was talking to him about the album cover again, just kind of giving him shit about it. And he's like, "You know what, Gringo?" He's <laughs> like, "It actually grew on me." He's like, "I don't hate it anymore." He's like, "It's not my favorite, but I don't hate it anymore." You stupid Gringo. <laughs> <laughs> nice i think that was a compliment <laughs> not quite sure yeah dude that's uh 
that's awesome. So all is said and done, it's out, right? This album is getting fantastic reviews pretty universally across the board. Obviously, you well, are that's something we're not used to. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I've heard you state now in, in other, other interviews and, and press that you know you're you're proud of the album that it's you think it's the best uh, piece of work that you've done. Now that you've got a concept album under your belt, do you think you'll go down that road again at some point? Why not? Yeah. I mean, especially if it comes as easy as that one did, you know, but I I think like um, this album's put some pressure on me that I've never felt before. You know, like I'm always trying to just please myself, you know, please the band and, you know, we write music for us. And now here we've done something that seems like a lot of people really like. And I feel like we've taught, you know, we've, we've topped ourselves musically and, and uh, visually and just everything we've done on this album is just like the best thing we've done. You know, how do I follow that up now? Yeah. Like, do I just can, you know, I just go about my normal shit and, you know, just come out with another concept or just do another Viking album or like what, you know, I don't know what to do next. Uh, if I should just, fucking be me and go for it or if i should really worry about you know pleasing people again sure and so i think you know this album's put that pressure on me that i've never had before and you know i don't want to disappoint anybody but at the same time i don't want to write music for anybody i want to do it for me sure so but you know i i certainly am enjoying all of the the adulation that i'm getting for this album so we're not used to that. We're used to like, what the fuck are these guys doing? You know, like you were, you were talking about our, uh, our guests, you know, we always have guests on our albums mm -hmm. and it's people we've met on tour, you know, it's, it's people we've toured with and, you know, and it's like, they always end up falling in love with Hellside. Like maybe if not so much the music, but the band, you know, we always end up winning these bands over. And it's the same way if you come and see us live, you know, you might not dig us or our albums or whatever, but we usually win you over live. And we've always been that live band. And, you know, we ended up getting a lot of friends that way and getting our asses out there. And, you know, it's so easy to just call a few people up and they're like, what? Hellsot wants some flutes? Fuck yeah, send me some tracks. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, uh, like uh, in Slaves and Gods, you know, there's a whole track where Cooper just, you know, did some drums in the studio real quick and i just kind of like quickly you know edited them or whatever uh in the studio and we just sent drum tracks to arcona and they sent us keyboards and guitars and vocals completely mixed and mastered back over the drums that they had cut up and turned into a song and then i did my vocals over it so it was like a duet between me and masha and she sang in slavic and i sang in english and uh fucking and then we get we had our friend do some bass over it and it, yeah it's called a hell you know it's a hell song on a hell album but it's the furthest thing from an actual hell song you know it's a collaboration between friends on different sides of the country and uh you know we take great pride in that um and that's what we always kind of lived on you know our live show and you know uh even with all the bad press, you know, we're getting like Bakken Winter Nights, Serenos Pagan Fest. We got to play Bakken Open Air. And, yeah. You know, it's like we were doing something right anyway. And now 
we've got all this adulation for this album and i'm really digging it yeah. <laughs> well, i must say <laughs> well well deserved and so then speaking of you know epic guests and tours and stuff you guys uh you've been pretty busy kind of out on the road uh lately and you, you know you got the uh, goat horn incantation uh stuff here right around the oh, corner playing with incantations bucket list shit for me man that's one of the reasons i took the gig yeah we got to play first at a venue we've never played for a production company that never even fucking heard of us and uh you know uh i think we play at like six or six thirty on a friday you know i don't think anybody's gonna be there but uh i saw incantation in like it was like 2000 or 1999 something like that with uh cannibal corpse and dark funeral mm. and just fell in fucking love with incantation i mean i already knew you know dark funeral and cannibal were my favorite black and death metal bands but, you know, rolling around with Incantation, I was like, holy shit, these guys are amazing. I think I had had, like, one or two Incantation albums, but I think they bored me. They were, like, more of the slow the slow roll kind of albums. And, uh, you know, early, the 90s production probably wasn't all there either. And it was probably tape trading, too. So that sure. that might have hurt, too. But, you know, for whatever reason, until I saw Incantation live, I was like, whatever. And then, holy fuck. And now here it is, you know, 22 years later and get the opportunity to open for them. You know, we've already played with Goat Horse several times, which I love them, too. Yeah. I'm going on and on about Incantation because, you know, it's a it's a band I've never got to share the stage with. And so we pulled the trigger on that and uh, we're pretty excited. And then um, got a couple of local shows in San Diego. uh, And then we're going to England for the HRH Viking Fest. Yeah. Which that one I'm, I'm really looking forward to, you know. I think we'll uh, we'll bust out drink motherfucker drink and probably I'll make you famous or maybe Independence Night instead. I don't know. We'll play a couple of new songs, but you know we're not going as the cowboy Hellasop band. We're gonna go with the blood and makeup and Viking is shit, and we'll probably go play Lindisfarne and <coughs> you know Valkyrie and uh, Folkbanger and you know bust out all our Viking songs for them. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I I think uh, you know you'll just resolidify your uh, your Viking um, perception, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's the cool thing with us. It's like you know, you, we've played with like you know Evergrey and got away with it. Sonata Arcta got away with it. You put us with a Monomarth, I'll give you a full set of Viking shit. You know, you put us with a band like Skyforger who has you know all this fucking epic uh slavic background i'll bust out my fucking shit i did with arcona you know what i mean like uh we have rock and roll stuff we i mean we opened for kill devil hill on their first tour uh uh you know i just feel like we're one of those bands that you know we're bastards you just throw us anywhere because we don't belong anyway yeah and uh i will try my best to put a set list together to fit (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now I, I read something somewhere I can't remember it but I, I I seem to recall coming across a story where there was an element of you being on the road and and having some difficulty having to constantly alter your set lists because you were playing with multiple people in different time slots and your stuff got changed and then you were having to kind of adapt to that uh, what was up with that well that just uh it's you know it's life on the road uh life on tour uh you know, sometimes you start a tour with three bands and then two bands jump on to the tour two weeks later and then one of them jumps off and, you know, uh, 
you'll get to one show where they don't have any local openers and you'll get to the next show the next day on the same tour and they got four <laughs> you know so you know and i know and everybody who's toured special multiple times and multiple different types of tours they know exactly what the fuck i'm talking about yeah like you you know you go into the fucking rehearsal room and you rehearse your solid 30 to 40 minute set whatever you've got for the tour you know and you swap out a couple of songs here and there so you're not playing the same fucking six songs for three weeks you know give yourself a little break but you know you get your set tight and you know by day six the tour manager comes up to you and says can you play an hour tonight (laughs) fuck (laughs) yes (laughs) of course what's what's more frustrating having to add on extra material or having to cut material that you were really looking forward to playing cutting material yeah um depends on how you feel that day you know everyone gets sick on tour so if you're not feeling well um and that happens to be the day that they come up to you and ask you to play four more fucking songs (laughs) when you were already dreading getting through six yeah you know so it, it just depends on the day, but you know, if everyone, everything's working well and you're feeling well and everyone's healthy, it sucks having to cut a song yeah. that, you know, especially like was going to get the crowd working because you, you've seen it for the past seven nights in a row. You, you know, you've seen a certain song or a group of songs together, just really fucking get the crowd going. Sure. You know, and we always take, you know, take notice to that stuff. And, um, we have um, our songs we call the crowd killers. And, uh, you know, that's not like a hardcore term where you go run in and fucking beat the shit out of everybody in the pit, you know. <laughs> <laughs> to us, it's the song where we notice the crowd died down, you know, and we killed the crowd. Like, you know, it's our job to get the crowd going and moving, you know. Sure. We're never the headliner, you know, on these tours. It's always our job to go in there and get the fucking party going. Yeah. And we take that job very seriously. And so, you know, if we're playing like Tavern and Whiskey Breath and Folkbanger and, the, you know, the fucking place is going crazy. And then we play The Healer, which is one of my favorite songs. But, you know, this never got over with the crowd, no matter how many times we played it. You know, like the crowd would just die. And then we couldn't get them back until the very end with Valkyrie. When you tell them, it's like, all right, motherfuckers, here's your last chance. And then everybody loves Valkyrie. You know, we always close with it. It's the energetic song. It's what we're known for. So it's like, you know, it's our exclamation point to a set. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I mean, so we have our list of songs now that we've noticed our crowd killers and uh, we try not to play them anymore. It's sad as that makes me. Some of them are fucking rad songs. Do you ever play Running Down a Dream live? Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That, That can get the crowd going. So tell me about this because, okay, so... I am a huge Tom Petty fan. I, I, I love, told you, me and you would get along. I man. love classic rock. I, I I like all kinds of music. I mean, metal is my first love, but I'm all over the place, man. I've seen Fleetwood Mac live, Crosby, Stills, oh, and yes. Nash, Neil Young, Elton John. I just went and saw well, Jackson saw Brown. Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and Young. I saw them with Young, absolutely. And it was unplanned. He just showed up that day, so fucking bonus. Um, but yeah, anyways, so I... Well, I'm a rocker, man, through and through. I started... I started with classic rock from my dad and, uh, you know, he got me into the doors. He got me into blue oyster cult, you know, 
he got me into iron butterfly yeah. we did an iron butterfly cover on the healer ep you know so uh but as far as american treasures goes tom petty yeah he, we should have been able to like crystallize him and and make sure he lived forever i don't know <laughs> that uh so i was uh on the last tour he did with the lumineers um i i saw we went and saw them and and he was gone like a month later um which was crazy and so i heard that you you were also uh, saw him on that that last run and that's what inspired you to do that song right yeah i saw his le- second to last performance ever yeah he did he did three nights at the hollywood bowl those were his last three shows and I was in the middle. I went to the second show. Um, and, uh, I was really torn because Scorpions were playing the same night. I'm a huge Scorps fan. Right on. And, uh, I'd seen the Scorpions more recently and more times than Tom Petty. So, but I was really fucking torn. And to be honest with you, I was, I, I almost went to that Scorpion show because I fucking hate Hollywood. <laughs> um, and they were playing in orange County. Like, much much easier drive for me um but you know i I was like fuck it i'm going to see tom petty man you know i'm so glad i did yeah i mean you saw it dude they're fucking you know they're halfway through their fucking set they're just fucking jamming right they were on fire and i'm like these guys have another 10 years in them at least i said that to my wife i was like oh my fucking god like these guys are just they still have it man you know and uh a week later he was gone yeah. a week and a half it was really sad but uh, you know i'm glad i went to that show and then i just went and saw the scorpions a couple months ago so <laughs> nice you uh you just when you approach the idea uh of, of recording that song uh what was the response where i mean were they like are you fucking kidding me how are we gonna pull this off how did that how did that uh play out well, at that point, there was nobody in our band. Oh, okay. It was just me and Cooper. Gotcha. Uh, when we went in to record Slaves and Gods, um, only me and Cooper showed up to the studio. Fuck. Yeah, our guitar players texted us like four hours into it saying, oh, we quit. Why are you guys dicks? Uh, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they wish they were dicks. <laughs> if they were dicks, they're sloppy, slimy dicks that oh, touch tips. Nice. But no, I just don't think they're fucking dumbass cunts. But you know, it's either neither here nor there. And you know, we persevered, and that ended up being you know one of my proudest moments is delivering Slaves and Gods. Yeah. You know, as a two piece, we just called up all our friends to help us, and so there was nobody like uh, <laughs> to argue with. <laughs> so you just made it happen yeah. and said, "Fuck it, we're doing it." <laughs> I was like, unless I wanted to be like Smeagol and Gollum going. Do we do it? Do, do we do the Tom Petty's covers? No, no, precious, we don't. We don't do the Tom Petty's. Uh, Everyone will be so mad. Oh, God. Ugh. Fuck it, we do it. No, you know, like, there was no arguing. It was just like, let's fucking do it. And, you know, we uh, we found a kid that's local to us. He's, you know, he's like a session musician. He's never really wants to be in a band or anything. And we hired him to do the guitar. And I knew he would nail the solo. That, fucking uh and then you know we have our friend bethian from elven king which is uh, a power metal pagan band from uh italy and uh 
you know, as soon as we were like coming up with the concept of, you know, I didn't want to like do the death metal growls and then me come up and go, woo, <laughs> right. Woo, woo. So, you know, that was my first concern is like, well, what the fuck are we going to do there? I'm like, it's like we could do a guitar squeal or we could just not do it or, you know, uh, find someone to do it better than me. I, you know, like we went through several things and I was like, let's fucking bluegrass the song out and fucking get a fiddle and have the fiddle do it. And Cooper was like, fuck yeah. Nice. <laughs> and that was really the beginning of uh, Will and the Witch. Yeah. For all you guys out there, that was kind of like the beginning of me and him going, we could do that. That was a spark. Yep. We tested it out on uh, running down a dream, which I still think today is the most, we besides the new uh material was the song that got played the most on the radio we actually got on you know the Sirius xm liquid metal Sweet. with that song i don't think we've none of the will and the witch songs have been on Sirius xm so you know uh maybe the tom petty covers got the bright the broadest range of listeners um but you know it, it worked so well and uh I was afraid we were going to get shot doing it, you know? It's like, maybe maybe you shouldn't, you know, go ripping off Tom Petty, especially right after he died. But we went for it, and I think it fucking came out rad. Yeah. And yeah. then we play it live, and people love it. Yeah, dude. So a lot I, of people, like, you can see in the crowd, like, you can tell, they're like, they, like, I know this song. It's like, where is that? Yeah. Yeah, and then I come in with, it's a beautiful day, and they're still like, what the fuck is this song? And then we get to get to run in down a dream. And they're like, oh, I uh, it's funny. That was the exact <laughs> reaction that my wife had when I played it for. Her. I was like, check this shit out. And she was like, holy fuck, this is badass. So, yeah, uh, we'll tell her I said thank you. <laughs> I will. Yeah. And I, I do. I, I enjoy that about your band is because you guys keep breaking down those barriers and, and kind of, I guess, testing those limits on what people will you know, either, <laughs> yeah, love or hate, accept, not accept, shit on or or swallow it whole. Who knows? But you guys, you keep fucking doing it. Um, now, I wanted to ask you, and I don't know if this is a sensitive subject or not, but you guys just had a pretty massive lineup change. It looks like um, very massive. Yeah. So, and, and you've you've got that sorted out, but kind of what was going on? Because it looked like you were doing that, and then there were some shows that. Uh, we're also in the mix. You just had a whole bunch of shit hit you in the face at one time. What was going on with that? Uh, well, I mean, um, my relationship with Cooper and Cooper's relationship with Hellsot had been declining for a little over a year, maybe even two years by now. Okay. And, um, uh, you know, he'd been working closely, like, with my brother Mark, the guitar player. And Mark is, a like, a very depressive, like, downer kind of guy. Sure all the fucking time has been his whole life. And when you're around someone like that all the time, it drags you down. Yeah. It affects you. you for sure. And so, you know, the, the other guys in me and Pete and the, you know, we started noticing the change in Cooper. Maybe he doesn't even notice it himself. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, and uh, it was just pretty sad, you know, watching the whole thing go down. And uh, I've been fighting with my brother my whole life. You know, we've been in several bands together where, you know, he quits the band in the middle of a tour and just walks away and, you know, uh, quits a band over a girl or, you know, it's uh, 
most of the time it's just me and him fighting you know he does he does something stupid i call him out on it and he turns you know and the way his brain processes something is you tell him one thing and it gets into his brain and he hears it a completely different way sure like you've just attacked his soul you know what i mean it's really sad but you know me and him are like yin and yang and uh we can never seem to get along and uh this last time you know when he came back to the band you know we he was in therapy and he was going through a divorce and had stopped drinking so much and uh just felt like uh you know uh he's trying to get his shit together so sure and then we we did a pretty good run man before covid he you know we had a few problems you know usually with him it's when we're on tour man it's, he just you know something gets inside him when he's on tour um we had a couple of little incidents with him but you know nothing crazy and i was like oh man he's changed it's been, you know it's really good and uh, then covid hit and we've had nothing to do but sit in our garage and drink you know sure and so that you know over the past two years and then you know when cooper and mark working together it's like they kind of formed their like group of hellsot and then me and pete were kind of over here and uh you know it I saw it coming and it was really sad. Uh, with Mark, it's just same old fucking story. And uh, with Cooper, it was really devastating for me because, you know, I'm, I was the drummer and then I was the singer and I only had like one drummer, two drummers in Hellsop before Cooper joined. So to me, he's been my drummer for 10 years, you know, and he's a really good drummer. So, um, you know, it's, it's, really hard for me to be in the band without him back there you know so anyway uh we get back from tour uh mark basically quits the band uh i have yeah and uh it is really sad but you know like i said i saw it coming and then uh cooper saw it a different way he said that i fired him even though he's on the same group text as me uh, I have, I have the text and Pete's like, he fired, he quit himself, you know, but for whatever reason, Coop sees it in his head that I fired him. And so, you know, there's, like I said, it's like their group versus our group, sure. you know? And, uh, I told Coop, you know, I, I'm tired, you know, we've been doing this a long fucking time. I'm sick of the bullshit. I'm sick of fighting, you know? And I just told him, it's like, dude, you don't have to be in this band. I was like, it feels to me like you put in all this work with this band, so you feel like you're trapped. You feel like you're stuck with me, you know? And I said, and that's not the case. I was like, you know, two years ago, I would have never said that to Cooper, made that conversation or anything, you know? I would have done anything in my power to keep Cooper around. But like I said, I'm done. I'm tired. If the if that was the end of Hellsot, I was at peace with it. Uh, and, you know, that's for a lot of people who know me and how much work I put into the band and all that stuff, they were like, Whoa, <laughs> but I mean it, you know? And so, uh, I had to go to Texas for a family emergency. And, uh, when I got back from Texas, Cooper called me as like, as soon as I got back, like I wasn't even fucking home yet. And, uh, he calls me and tells me he's quitting the band and that he's not going to do any of the shows he's done. So, I had to cancel a show we had that Sunday just because, you know, I mean, I was like, what the fuck are we going to do? And then I have right. a show coming up with Goat Horror. I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to have to cancel that too. Um, you know, and I'm sitting there thinking, I was like, 
I'm not going to break up the band yet because I've got some really cool offers for next year already. And I want to do that HRH biking thing. And I'm just like, you know, to me, I was like, I can get this shit back together by December for HRH biking, you know, as mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? I'm going to keep doing this at least for a little while. Um, you know, cause like I said, I, you know, I've already dealt with so many guitar players quitting on me and all this shit, but you know, I always had the drummer. You know, now it's just me and a guitar player. So, uh, he Cooper quits on a Friday. I go to a show on Saturday with a bunch of my friends there. And there's a, the brothers, uh, Simsay brothers are there. Zach's in the band called Mithrium that he's playing that night. And his brother Alex was watching the merch. And, uh, you know, I just fucking, hey guys, you want to fucking join Hellsot? And they're like, what? <laughs> I'm like, Cooper quit. And they're like, <laughs> what the fuck and so they had to wrap their head around it and a couple of days later they were both in and i got my band back together i didn't have to put a post out i didn't have to dread i didn't have to sweat i didn't have to do anything i just went to a show one day later to have fun and got my band back together that's insane dude and i feel like that was the universe telling me hellsat's got to keep going so now i'm more invigorated i'm happy i'm like you know we they've only been jamming together with Pete. Um, I've only made it to one rehearsal, but they've done like three or four rehearsals now together, trying to get the music tight. <laughs> but, you know, it's only like two weeks later, three, it's not even been three weeks, I think since Cooper quit the band or no, I think it's three weeks today, three weeks today when Cooper quit the band and we could play a set tonight. If someone called me and said, Hey man, could Hellsot show up here? We could. Awesome. So you're just, you're ready to go and, and, you know, things are still moving forward. Oh yeah. Like, uh, like, a you know, flash of lightning, man. It fucking, it hit so fast that the band was back together, you know? And, uh, I just, like I said, I saw that as the universe telling me that, you know, we worked too hard at this band, uh, especially putting out, you know, this album we just put out. We really haven't even had much of a chance to support it yet. It's only been out two months. Right. So it was like, ah, fuck it. You know? And now I've got, you know, young blood. They're younger than Cooper, younger than Mark. And, uh, you know, they're they're into the same shit I'm into. And uh, I'm really looking forward to writing some music with them. See where that takes us. Yeah. You're always saying, you know, like, Hellsot's always, like, you know, fucking with the boundaries of what people will deal with and what they won't deal with, you know. And, uh, you know, maybe writing an album with these guys, we don't have any of that. We just write the straightforward, like dark Viking pagan fucking thing that everyone loves. Or maybe these guys get stupid, silly with me and they come up with even sillier ideas. <laughs> you know, you never fucking know. Yeah. It sounds good though. It sounds like it's healthy and it sounds like, uh, you know, you've, you've got a good attitude about it and it's unfortunate that it had to happen, but maybe the writing was on the wall and it was just, uh, you know, time to move in a different direction. And, and, but you've got shows planned, you got stuff coming up. So it looks like, uh, you've got no shortage of things to keep you busy uh, over the next few months. Oh no, we're, we're, we'll be fine, man. Yeah. Everything's good. Uh, super busy. And now, you know, the new guys have a whole lot of music they got to learn. Yeah, they sure do. And, uh, <laughs> I'm so, sure, I'm sure they'll, they'll, uh, they'll fill the roles nicely. So what's, uh, what's the next thing on the horizon? What are we going to see from you on the very immediate future? Um, just, uh, supporting the album. Like I said, you know, 
fucking hasn't even been out two months yet and i've already you know done a shitty tour and band fucking broke up during the tour basically and you know it wasn't official until we got home but it's like you know uh, it was what it was and uh you know family health problems uh just you know everything smacked like you said it smacked me in the face like you know, within a week or two. And I'm just now getting over, like, I still notice I've still got a cough, you know, I got COVID right before the tour. Oh shit. So <clears throat> when we went into the tour, I couldn't talk. I had been coughing for three weeks straight. COVID completely destroyed my vo- my voice and all that. I wanted to cancel the tour, but we had already had our boys from Malthus from Philadelphia. They had already had their flights booked because they were going to come out here and tour with us. And, use our backline and all that stuff and they you know like they were ready to go if, if we canceled the tour we would have fucked Malthus. sure so i felt like we had to go so there i am starting a tour with no voice and a sore throat and all that that's usually not till the end of a three-week tour <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so you know not only are we all fighting and not getting along but i can barely talk and then i have to go up there and scream every night knowing i don't sound good knowing you know that's embarrassing for a lead singer yeah you you know you're sick you can hide behind a guitar you can hide behind the drums you can still play decently you know when you're a singer and your vocal cords aren't there your voice isn't there but you still got to stand in the middle of that stage and act like you're a badass on stage it's fucking embarrassing man and you know that that took its toll on me on this last fucking tour and then you know we come back and I'm just now getting over where I can talk to you normally with only coughing a few times. That fucking thing really kicked my ass and then uh, destroyed my voice during the tour. You know, every night just got worse, worse and worse the more I screamed. So when I got back, uh, I had to cancel a gig because I had to go to Texas and I pretty much, I just felt like I couldn't do the gig anyway. Right. Plus the guys are quitting the band, you know, there was some talks about, Oh, let's, you know, let's do this last show or let's do a couple of the shows professionally and we'll tell everyone you're leaving and, you know, you guys can bow out gracefully and we'll do this the right way, you know, but uh, it wasn't long before uh, Mark and Cooper, you know, got drunk and we we're like, fuck that, I'm not playing <laughs> with you guys anymore. So. And so uh, one chapter ends and another begins. There's the the new saga for Hellsot here yep. on the immediate horizon. Absolutely, man. It's going to be fucking wicked. Awesome. Well, if people want to check out the band, what are the best places to find you? Social media sites, where to get your music, all that stuff. Give us all those plugs. Oh, well, the easiest one is just go to smarturl.com backslash Hellsot. That fucking site is so rad it's like a link tree thing so you go to smarturl.com backslash hellsot and you'll have all our links in there man oh sick well that makes it easy <laughs> yeah and uh you know check check them out on all the sites make sure you follow these guys make sure you you know you get their music you guys have a physical product and downloads available oh yeah yeah, yeah and uh, uh merch and all that a- shit <clears throat> drink motherfucker drink shirts if you want them <laughs> um yeah we've got a limited edition uh double vinyl for will and the witch with gold print um it's fucking super sexy uh 
you know the the cover looks sick on you know like the cd but like when you see it on vinyl it's like it even pops even more like uh, you know like someone just posted a picture on the side of the theater wall come on in and fucking see this production you know so uh <clears throat> pick up the double vinyl there was only like 250 made i don't know how many are left it's, they're all out in distribution and the label has them and stuff so if they're still out there man make sure you pick it pick up one because i'm not sure they're going to get put out in print and definitely not that way because you know um vinyl production right now is so screwed it's like a year out yeah super a lot of up. places and um i don't think the label's gonna fucking you know wait another year to put out another double album from hellside so we're not a really big selling band um you know we got yeah. i got bo- i got boxes of our old cds you know still so it's uh i would pick up that vinyl if i were you because you know that's special and it's not going to be reprinted i don't think sweet and uh i guess then any other uh any other last words for the day before i uh let you get back to your uh, post-covid recovery seminar there yeah drink motherfucker drink <laughs> it's time words to live by motherfucker so hey yeah. uh hey, man, Eric- come and see hellside man wherever you are in the world man come see us man Come say hi to me, man. Buy me a drink. Yeah. Buy me two. <laughs> we will drink, motherfucker drink. Next time uh, you come to Seattle, I'll, I'll definitely be there. So, uh, brother, thank you for hanging out today on Misery Point Radio. This has been an awesome chat, man. I feel like I could talk with you forever. There's so many rabbit holes. Uh, we'll have to yeah, have you back on about here to, in the near future. About to say this one kind of went quick, huh? It does. It goes fast, doesn't it? Um, you know, there's a. Uh, an endless supply of things to talk about and so uh open door for you man you got new stuff to promote we'll hook this back up bring you back on have some more fun and uh i see you and i having many conversations here in the future so fuck yeah man just let me know all right there you go ladies and gentlemen eric dow hell sot thank you brother <laughs> nice and thanks of course to all of you out there in the wasteland for hanging out with me again on misery point radio and thanks again to john asher for hooking it up i am telling you this album is killer and so are the earlier hellsot albums i really recommend checking them out make sure you follow them on all their socials and visit their website do the same for us here too just search for misery point radio give us a like and a follow and even though our new website is still in the works and not quite done yet you can still tune into the station on the live 365 platform now we're going to close this one out with one more song off hellsot's brand new album here it is the title track will and the witch later huckleberries